to me, it means really not letting the distraction of what other people are doing or what other people think you should be and really focusing on who you are, which is a really hard thing to do, right? Like that's really, really hard. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Hi, writers. Today's episode of the Find Your Voice podcast is perfect for you if you have an idea that you'd like to write about, but you're bumping up against that age-old problem of not having an audience or not having a platform. I talk about this all the time, but a lot of writers, the number one piece of advice that they get, especially new writers, is grow your platform, which translates into go get a bunch of Instagram followers. And nothing distracts you from finding your voice quicker than chasing after a bunch of followers on a social media platform. So I think you're going to love today's conversation with my friend, Melissa Julwan, who is the author of the best-selling well-fed cookbook series and the founder of the blog, meljulwan.com. She also is the founder of a brand new project called Strong Sense of Place. And this is what I want you to hear from her story today. Melissa, over the years, has written on several different topics, and over the years, her audience, her platform has ebbed and flowed. She, of course, has a strong audience around the Wealthy Cookbook series, but what happens when you want to write about something new, and you have no idea if your audience is going to be as interested in it as you are? So what I want you to hear from Melissa today is I want you to hear her talk about imposter syndrome. I want you to hear her talk about procrastination and perfectionism and how difficult it can be to start. She has a couple of tips to share with you for how to sort of trick yourself into getting started. She talks about the feeling of being done writing about a topic and what's really happening there and that sense of passion and pleasure and play and fun that comes in the middle of the writing process when you finally get in the habit of doing it, honestly, even if no one else is paying attention. So if you have an idea of something you'd like to write, but you're stalling because you don't have anyone paying attention and you're scared, maybe no one will ever read it. This conversation is for you. I'm so excited for you to hear from Melissa. Here we go. Melissa, welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Me too. I want to start same place we always start with these conversations, which is with the question, what does it mean to you to find your voice? That's such an interesting question because my first reaction was, have I found my voice? (laughs) 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 And my sort of after that initial knee-jerk reaction, my next thought was, to me, it means really not letting the distraction of what other people are doing or what other people think you should be and really Mm -hmm. focusing on who you are, which is a really hard thing to do, right? Like that's really, really hard. 
Totally. It's so hard. Yeah. I love that. Just the visual image of like finding your path, finding your truth, finding the way that you want to go and not being swayed or mesmerized or distracted by whatever else is happening around you. Which I think is really challenging, particularly in the time of the internet, because we are surrounded by other people's voices. And I admire the way other people write. And I feel like the trick there is to try to analyze what is appealing about that and figure out what my version of that would be. Yeah. I've had to accept that as a human, I tend to be pretty earnest and sometimes kind of goofy. And when I write that way, people respond to it. When I read it, sometimes I feel awkward and uncomfortable (laughs) 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 because the kind of writing I enjoy reading can be different than that. But if I am genuine in the way I would naturally express myself speaking, if I can translate that into writing, there are people who respond to that. And those are the people that I want in my audience. Yeah, I love that. I know a lot of people listening have aspirations to write a book or start a blog or in some way publicly share their words. And I talk about this all the time, but one of the biggest pieces of advice that new writers get, especially from people in the publishing industry, is grow your platform. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be really distracting, you know, to use your term and use this analogy, it can be distracting advice because what will grow your platform doesn't always help you find your voice. In fact, most of the times I think it doesn't help you find your voice. Agree. Strong agree. (laughs) I think you have such an interesting story to demonstrate this because you do have a quote unquote platform and we'll talk all about, you know, some of the struggles that come along with having a bunch of people who are paying attention to you and waiting for the next thing that you're going to write. But for the sake of our listeners who don't know you or haven't heard of you before, can you give a little bit of a backstory? Like, you know, talk about like the last decade maybe of your career? Yeah, sure. I'm going to go back a little bit further than a decade, but I'll be brief about it just to kind of lay a foundation. My educational background is in advertising writing. And when I started Mm -hmm. out, I really thought that's what I wanted to do. I'm from a small town in Pennsylvania, and I had this mental image of what I wanted my life to be like, which was super fancy in New York City, writing for an advertising agency. That was what I was going to do. And by the time I graduated from college, I realized that was not what I wanted to do at all. But I never stopped loving playing with words. So I kind of went through a period where I was doing a lot of PR writing. And the thing that was valuable about that, that that is not very helpful for finding your own voice because you're representing other people all the time. But it gave me a kind of flexibility with language and adopting other voices. And that eventually helped me to find my own way of writing. Now we're going to fast forward. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. kind of, (laughs) I have two sides of my writing life right now because I've written a series of cookbooks, the Well-Fed Cookbook Series, and they were very successful. There are people who are devout fans, and I'm so grateful that they like them. And I have a sizable platform that supports that side of my work. And then a few years ago, I really wanted to make a change. And my husband and I started a project called Strong Sense of Place, which is a website and podcast about literary travel and books with vivid settings. We started that project basically with 
no audience, although we were able Mm -hmm. to promote it to my existing audience. So I have both of those projects in my life right now. And there are similarities and differences which make my writing life interesting. (laughs) We'll say interesting. (laughs) Writing is one of those things that is, I think it's like, you know, maybe eating healthy or working out or whatever, where you can have a love-hate relationship with it. And sometimes it (laughs) feels easy and other times it feels really hard. What is it for you that keeps you coming back to the writing process again and again? You know, it's not even a conscious decision anymore. I just find myself writing things. If I wasn't doing Strong Sense of Place, I would be journaling or I would be blogging about my favorite TV shows just for fun. <laughs> the The whole reason that the Well-Fed Cookbooks exist, and this is a kind of convoluted, nonlinear story to cookbooks, but I was working my corporate job and I was writing, but it was writing for clients. And I really wanted to do some writing that just belonged to me. And at the time, I was reading a bunch of fashion blogs. And I was like, I'm just going to start a fashion blog to amuse myself. (laughs) So I went to Blogger and I started a blog called The Clothes Make the Girl, which was a riff on The Clothes Make the Man, which I thought was very funny. (laughs) The other thing about my writing is that I think I'm very funny. (laughs) (laughs) David sometimes has to... Remind me that not everyone will share my sense of humor. I thought it was hilarious. And I wrote a post about how I was wearing my favorite outfit that day because it felt like pajamas, but it looked like a spy outfit. And I wrote another one about how I like men who wear hats. And it was like I was just doing it to amuse myself. Yeah. And then as I I joined CrossFit and I started learning about paleo. And so I just started writing about those things. Again, going back to what I said earlier, I was processing my commitment to exercise and eating healthy by writing about it. Hmm. And then I started growing this audience. Like people, like it was just organic. People started reading it. And so now I have a fitness and nutrition blog called the clothes make the girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Completely confusing for people. And eventually we made the cookbooks. I changed the clothes make the girl to meljulon.com and that became my career. But it started from a desire to write. I just wanted to put words together and talk about things that were important to me. And when I look back at the things that I've written professionally and personally, that just comes up over and over again. I can't help myself. Totally. And I remember when I first met you and you were in this place where you, you know, were having these similar opportunities as you had had before in your career around, you know, paleo recipes, paleo meals, writing about paleo, healthy eating, all these all these different things related to food and specifically paleo. And you were like, we were in a, in a group mastermind setting and you were saying to the rest of us, like, I mean, this is great, but it doesn't, it's not doing for me what it used to do for me. Like I don't wake up super excited to write about paleo recipes. Mm -hmm. And we were, the rest of us in the group were saying like, well, what would make you feel that way? You know, and you, at, at the time you and Dave were dreaming about this new idea I'm wondering if you can talk about what was going on for you in that moment 
because I think a lot of our listeners are really going to resonate with some of the obstacles. Like why not just take the leap and, you know, change directions immediately and start writing about something new. Right. So there, I think there are a couple things going on there. First, I've been writing about health issues and paleo for, oh, I'm going to say eight years. So that felt really comfortable. I could do that fairly easily. But that also meant that I didn't feel particularly challenged by it anymore. And one of the things I've realized is that my motivation to write is because I get very interested and enthusiastic about things and I want to share those with other people. So as different topics have become interesting to me in my life, I've pursued them and written about them to great length sometimes. And then when they just become a standard part of my life, I'm ready to move on to something new. Mm. So when I started our cookbooks, I was going through some health issues and I was always interested in being as fit as I could be and being as eating as healthy as I could. So I got very excited about the idea of paleo and then beyond that, how to take the kind of guidelines of paleo and make food that would be really fun to eat. So that was my motivation and I wanted to share that desperately and I did. But then when it just became a part of my everyday life, I was ready for something else. Yeah. You know what that makes me think? I wonder if it's because so much of the writing process is a process of self-exploration. 100%. (laughs) Like we think of writing as this way to communicate an idea to other people, but really Mm -hmm. my experience in helping people write books is the process of writing a book is you working out a topic within yourself and within your own life. And the act of engaging in the process of writing about it is what does that for you. So when you're done, you're kind of done. Yes, I agree with you 100%. In fact, I was talking to my husband, David, earlier today, and I said, you know, when we were living in California and thinking about moving to Texas, I wrote a really, I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed by this scrapbook I made, this very extensive book with photos and stories from when we visited Texas. And then we moved there and we lived there for 13 years. And then when we started thinking about moving to Europe, we were traveling more. And I have the most detailed travel journal. And now that we live here and we travel all the time, I hardly ever put detailed notes in my travel journal. Yeah. (laughs) So there's, yeah, there's this repeating process throughout my life of figuring out what I think about something by writing about it. Which I mean, I'm sure is not news to people who like to write, but it is kind of interesting to think about. I'm communicating outward, but really I'm communicating inward. Yeah. It's just such a good reminder that that's really what the writing process is about. That, you know, you, yeah, you start at the beginning of a topic and I'll talk about starting at the beginning in just a second. (laughs) Ask you about that because the beginning can be so intimidating and scary. You're starting with nothing. You're Mm -hmm. like starting off on this adventure, embarking on this thing. and You don't have any idea what it's going to turn into. And then when you're in the middle of it, it can be really engaging and you can feel passionate about it. And you're getting so excited and you're really having these epiphanies and learning things, or, you know, you can get stuck behind something and feel like, it's just you're banging head your head against a wall every day. And then at the end, there's this closure. Like I'm even thinking about, I don't know if you had this experience after you release a book where there, there comes a point where you just are so sick of talking about it. You, you see that it's having an impact on other people, but you're just like, I can't 
even yeah. talk about this. For right. Because I've already thought through that yeah. so mm-hmm. many times, so many revisions. I've, you know, pressed my nose up against the glass of those words so many times. Yeah. And it is, it is, it can be energizing when other people experience it and kind of bring what they get out of it back to you. But yeah, i I am definitely a person who wraps up a project and is like, okay, there's a bow on that. I'm finished with that one. (laughs) And just to circle back to the original question you asked me, in case people wanted to hear the answer, because I'm so excited to talk to you. One of the things that made it very difficult to move on from the well-fed world to this new one is a practical one. Like we built a business around that idea. And Hmm. I did take a a fair amount of my identity from that for almost 10 years, I was the, you know, the paleo chef girl. One of the things that made it a little bit easier to do it is that I've been through that process before. My first book was a book about playing roller derby. So I've had a period in my life when I was the roller derby girl, I was the paleo chef girl. So those kind of, like personas that you kind of slip in and out of, I think can be really helpful. And my voice is the same, right? My writing voice has stayed the same. I'm just applying that enthusiasm to Mm. different topics. So to me, it always kind of feels like I'm doing the same thing because they're all extensions of things that I care about. While at the same time, I recognize from the outside, it could look kind of nuts to people. Like, what is she doing? (laughs) What is she writing about now? (laughs) Yeah, a couple of threads I'm hearing come through there that I think are important to point out. Number one is it's a good reminder that we are multifaceted human beings and we are not brands. I think sometimes in the world of being a writer or a solopreneur or whatever it is that we're doing, we can get stuck in this idea that we have to fully encapsulate ourselves in an Instagram bio and that's just not possible. There's so many layers to each of us and and just a, a lot of creativity that we have to share with the world in a full lifetime. And two is that despite what might seem like a shift, because I started writing about dating. (laughs) Most Mm -hmm. people don't know this, but like my very first blog was me as a 25 year old woman living in a big city, going on dates and just writing about what was, what I was experiencing. And that actually caught some, caught some wind, not, I didn't have an audience as robust as what you have with well-fed, but enough that I resonate with what you're talking about, where I sort of felt some sense of identity from that. Mm -hmm. And then when I pivoted from that world, I thought the same thing, like people are going to think like, who's this girl? She's talking about this new thing now. Right. Um, When I started talking about writing and when I look back on those old writings, I realized what you said, which is that my voice is still present there. It's, Mm -hmm. it's evolved and there are new layers to it now, but it's not like I'm a completely different person now than I was then. It's just a different way of reflecting those same parts of myself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I want to talk about starting something new because regardless of whether you're doing this for the 10th time, you know, if you've written 10 books or had 10 different, you know, like facets of your career, or if you're doing this for the first time, like so many of our listeners are who have something they want to write and are just getting started. The idea of starting sitting down to look at the blank page is terrifying or can be terrifying. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wasn't for you. I don't know. Can you, can you tell me about your experience to starting strong sense of place? Yes. I mean, 
we I feel like we've already touched on my first emotional reaction a little bit, which was, who the heck am I to think I can be doing this? <laughs> like, I'm about to write a description of a novel that I really enjoyed or write about a bookshop that I visited in England that I thought was great. Who am I to be doing that? (laughs) (laughs) I kind of have two tricks that I use. These are completely tactical just to make the words start going. The first is to remember that no one sees what I'm writing except me until I share it with them. And there is this kind of, I don't know if other people have this. I don't know if you have this, Allie, but sometimes when I'm starting, like I almost feel embarrassed or a low level of shame about Mm -hmm. the writing that I'm about to do. Again, like who do I think I am that I can be talking about this particular subject? And it helps me a lot to remember no one will see it. I'm just writing for me right now. Yeah, Yeah, that's really helpful for me too. And the other thing I do, which I have to do, fairly often, particularly during the pandemic, is I call it tricking myself. Like usually I'm very thoughtful and deliberate when I'm about to start doing something and I arrange my space and I make my plan and I'm like going to sit down to work now and it's like a thing. And when I'm really anxious about writing something, I trick myself and just without thinking about it, walk to the chair, sit down, open up BB Edit and start typing. Yeah. No plan, no outline, no goal for the day, no thoughts about what this thing is going to be. I just do it. I love that. You know what it reminds me of? I years ago, I decided I was going to run a marathon and I started reading this famous, I forget the guy's name, Jeff something from Oregon, but he was a famous running coach and he wrote this book back in the 70s that like teaches you how to train for a marathon if you're not a runner. Mm-hmm. And I was reading the book and he talks, he tells you, one of the things he tells you to do is when you come home from work and you know, you have a training run to do and you don't want to do it. I I don't think he says the phrase trick yourself, but that's exactly what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You first say to yourself, I'm just going to go put on the outfit. (laughs) I'm just going to go put on the the running shorts and the shoes. Like I'm not going to go for a run. I'm just going to put on the clothes. So you go put on the clothes. And then he says to say to yourself, I'm just going to go stand on the front porch and see what's happening out there. <laughs> so you go stand on the front porch and then to say to yourself, like, interesting, what's happening over on the other side of the street? <laughs> and you basically do this series of tricking yourself until you yeah. find that you're running and you're just like, well, I'm doing it. I'm one mile yep. in. I can finish. But there's something to be said for those little brain tricks, I think, yeah. because so much of what keeps us stuck is just our own thought process or our Absolutely. own psyching ourselves out. Absolutely. And I don't know that anyone else in the world has, you know, now that we've started Strong Sense of Place, I don't think anyone else in the world has looked at that and been like, who does she think she is writing about books? <laughs> you no. know, that was completely made up. Yeah. And in fact, I think people look at it and go like, of course you would write about this. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. <laughs> at least those of us who know you feel that way. How did you know that this was the thing you wanted to write about? A lot of times people will ask us like, you know, I have three different book ideas or 10 different book ideas Mm -hmm. or so many different places I could start. Or they might say it feels completely cloudy and confusing to me. And I have no idea what I would write about, but I just know Mm -hmm. that I want to write. Did you have, did it feel like an invitation from this topic, this idea? And then how did you know that this was the idea? I knew that this was the right direction for me because I couldn't stop 
thinking about it. Mm. And David and I, we've been a couple for a long time and we've had our own business for a long time. And we have this little document that we've carted around with us for decades that we call the scam list, which is a terrible name for a very nice thing. (laughs) And it's basically a list of every creative slash career idea we've ever had. If we're just Mm -hmm. sitting around at breakfast on a Sunday morning and have an idea, we put it onto the scam list. And some of them are really great business ideas that we would never do because we don't want to do that work. Yeah. But this idea, I don't know, it came to me two or three years ago because when we travel, I love to read novels set in the place that we're going to visit. And it's hard to find really solid recommendations for those. You can Google them and you will get massive lists. But what I wanted was a very pointed recommendation. And I decided that's what I was going to do. And once I got that idea, I couldn't let go of it. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that it's kind of the culmination of all of the other things that I've been doing with my writing life and my living life. Yeah. That idea of an idea that won't let you go is that's my answer always too for how I know what to do next. It's like Mm -hmm. thing that wakes you up in the morning and keeps you up at night and that Mm -hmm. you're sort of spinning over. And if we think back to what we said earlier in this conversation, which is that a, a project like this, whether it's a blog or a book or whatever is really an attempt to, to better understand something that you're trying to understand, then it makes perfect sense that you would have this thing, like this question sort of, that's keeping you up at night Mm -hmm. or this thing that you wish was out there that's not out there. Yeah. And that the response is, I'm going to go make the thing that I wish was out there that isn't out there. I love that. How has your relationship to writing changed since (laughs) you started Strong Sense of Place? Oh... So one of the things I was really excited about with Strong Sense of Place is that I was going to read all of these wonderful books. That has come true. I get to read a lot and it's awesome. And then I was going to write not reviews because I am not a critical reviewer. I want to recommend books that I love. So I was going to write descriptions of books that would tell you why it has a strong sense of place and why you would love to read it. And I expected that this was going to be so much fun. And it is very challenging. (laughs) It is is far more difficult to write, say, 300 words. (laughs) It'd be easier to write 1,200 words. Yeah. Who's the author who said, I was going to write it shorter, but I didn't have enough time? Time, yes. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I forget who said that, but it is 100% true. And I kind of like that it's challenging me. Like, that's really fun to me. But I also, like, I've been writing... I'm 52, so I've been writing professionally for a little more than half my life. And I was a terrible procrastinator when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I would put things off until the very last second and until it was an emergency and I would have to do the thing. And I've grown out of that. I will tell you that I am procrastinating on writing these book pages every time I have to do them. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe it comes back to the perfectionist. Um, perfectionism that I've tried to let go of, which is I feel a lot of pressure to do a really, really good job on these. And it's not like when I write my newsletters, which are much more, I'm in a flow when I write those. I feel like I'm communicating directly with my audience. Mm -hmm. I feel like the book pages need to stand on their own. And that's a different kind of 
writing and it's a different kind of pressure for me. So that's been really interesting to kind of feel like this is a new thing that I have to learn how to do. That happened when I was writing my first cookbook as well because I didn't know how to write a formal recipe. I'd been sharing on my blog things that I enjoyed eating and you know, casually describing what I'd done in the kitchen. And I had to educate myself on how to write recipes and how to make sure everything was consistent and how to write descriptions that people would understand. And I kind of gave myself an immersive course on that, read a bunch of really smart people's books about how to do that, read dozens of cookbooks to see how other people did it until I felt like I had a grasp of how to actually write a recipe. And so as I've been doing Strong Sense of Place, I've been going through that same learning process because again my same voice but writing about something completely different yeah man it's so important for our listeners to hear that because I think so many writers get stuck in this rut in their brain where they think the authors who have really done it who have really made it or who really deserve to be an author just know the rules Mm -hmm. they know all the answers about whatever topic they're teaching. Mm -hmm. They know all the grammar rules. They know how a book is supposed to be laid out. They know how long a chapter is supposed to be. And the truth is most people just don't know that (laughs) unless, Mm -mm. you know, unless you've written uh, many books, then you start to kind of get the rules down a little bit. But even still, you know, if you ask me where a comma goes in the sentence, I think I'll probably be right 50% of the time. (laughs) Well, and I've, I've written three cookbooks and each time it felt like a fairly new process. I was a little more confident each time, but it still feels new. I think every book feels new. Totally. I would agree with you completely. And what are words? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, I was joking with someone the other day, you know, my book came out and I was telling someone, this is the third time I've released a book of my own. And probably, I mean, I've written over a dozen books now all together, including mine and other people's. And so I've been involved in several book launches. And every time I release a book into the world, it's the same thing. It's, you'd think that you'd get better at it, like that you would feel differently as time moves on, but it's like the same, it's like a trigger to feel like the high school version of myself where I'm like, 100%. It's so weird. Like I'm like, I'm 37 years old. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm like, I'm a grown woman. And I'm like, but will people like it? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Yes. There's a lot of that in our household because even though Strong Sense of Place just celebrated its one year anniversary, it still feels very new. And yeah, there's a lot of that. Just like, boy, I really hope people like it. But one of the things that David and I collaborated on the cookbooks as well And he was definitely my creative partner when I was writing my roller derby book, even though he's uncredited. And one of the things we have to remind each other is that when we make things that we like and just put them out there, we find the people who also like that. Yeah. And I think it's really important for writers to recognize if you are true to your voice, you will attract people who you should attract. I think we run into trouble when we try to go chasing after people we have no business trying to attract to us. Yes. And then you're living out of alignment yes. with yourself and you you will constantly, it feeds that imposter syndrome. Yes. Yeah. I will say imposter syndrome is universal, but the best 
antidote, I think, to imposter syndrome is to live in live in authenticity with your voice because yep. the more you can ground yourself in that and you know who you are and you know what you're about and you know what your purpose is and you're speaking to the right people, the less likely that feeling is to creep in like I'm making this like I have no idea what I'm talking about, you know. <laughs> Which, you know, you still feel some of that, but right. What does your writing life look like now? I'm writing pretty much every day, which didn't happen necessarily when I was doing the cookbooks. The cookbooks tended to be very intense couple of months of work. And then I would be updating my blog maybe once or twice a week, but I wasn't writing every day. I write every day now. And it's the thing that I like about it is that it definitely gets over that blank page obstacle. Like I just don't Mm -hmm. have time to dither around. And I feel like it's like anything else that you practice regularly, right? The hurdles come down when you do it more often. So whether it's yoga or eating healthy or writing, making that practice daily just minimizes the barriers. Yeah, sure. It makes it habit and routine. Yeah. So you're writing every day. Are you writing for multiple hours in a day? What's the, what's kind of the time frame that you're Mm -hmm. spending sitting at the page? It depends. Like on a short day, I might read for a couple hours and just make some notes and write, you know, a blog post. But Mm -hmm. the way our our schedule is set up, we're kind of on a two-week cycle. So um, we'll write a script at the beginning of the week, say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Our goal is to record the podcast that Friday. And then the following week is when I'm writing all of the content that supports that podcast. And that week, I'm writing maybe four to six hours a day. Those wow. are long writing days. I don't really recommend writing for long stretches like that. Yeah. But because we're starting this business from scratch, that's kind of what it requires for me yeah. right now. Yeah. Man, the content creation machine, it's like kind of like you get on like a like a hamster wheel. <laughs> yes. Like, I read, stop. I don't remember who said this, and I wish that I could because it's so apt someone wrote, having a blog is like having a dragon that constantly needs to be fed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's really true. But one of the things that happened to me when I was writing my roller derby book is that I had, my contract said the book had to be a hundred thousand pages. I mean, sorry, my contract (laughs) said the book had to be a hundred thousand words. That would have been epic. A hundred thousand pages on roller derby. Roller derby book. (laughs) No. My contract said it had to be 100,000 words. And there was some confusion between my agent, my editor, and myself. So my deadline came and went, and I didn't know that. <laughs> Which, mm-hmm. as a you know young person with their first book contract, was terrifying. Sure. Because I am a deadline-driven person. So missing yeah. a deadline is like a huge no-no for me. That yeah. was an existential crisis to know that my deadline had come and gone and I'd missed it. You didn't know yet that no author ever turns their script. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so what happened was they gave me a one-month extension and I had to write my entire book in a month. Oh my gosh. Yes. So I was actively in roller derby at the time and I was supposed to travel to Las Vegas and play in this big tournament and all of that got canceled. And I made a schedule where I was going to write every day for 30 Mm -hmm. days and get that thing done. Surely I can write 3000 words a day. And so I did. I mean, my first book, I cranked it out in a month and 
one day I wrote 6,000 words and I was over the moon. I was so happy and it was just flowing and it was so much fun and it was easy. And the next day I think I wrote one sentence and then deleted it the next day. (laughs) (laughs) I went through the whole gamut of emotions. And then when I turned in the manuscript, my editor said, I love it. This is really what I was looking for, but it's too long. And I said, what do you mean it's too long? The contract said 100,000 words. And she said, oh, no. We were supposed to give you the contract that accounted for photos. We only needed 80,000 words. So then I had to kill 20,000 of my darlings. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that was, in hindsight, one of the best things that could have happened to me. Sure. Because it made me unafraid and it made me know that, I can push when I have to, and it set expectations for if you do have a really good writing day, probably the next day is not going to be so good because you're tired. Your brain is tired. Your well is empty. So there were a lot of good things that came out of that, but wow. Wow. Yeah. I think most people are amazed to find how quickly they can get something written when they have to and when they put their mind to it. So for those people who are listening, who I think a lot of our listeners are writers who have other jobs or are aspiring writers who have other jobs that may or may not involve writing. What would you say to those writers about, because, you know, I think sometimes people get overwhelmed at this idea. They hear about authors who are writing for four or five hours a day and they're like, Mm -hmm. I could never do that. So that means I can't write a book. But what would you say to someone who has another job and has this passion project on the side that they'd like to write? I wrote my first cookbook while I had a full-time grown-up job working for a web development company. So I was writing all day at work, and then I would come home and write one or two recipes. And on the weekends, I would write and we would take photographs. So it can be done. The The thing that I think fuels that ability to get it done is being really enthusiastic about what you're writing and also giving yourself a break and taking a rest weekend when you just don't have it in you. Yeah. Writing a little bit at a time eventually adds up to a lot of writing. And a little bit is 1 million percent better than nothing. Yes. You also mentioned this idea of filling the well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were referencing Julia Cameron when you said that, but mm-hmm. like the the idea that as we have an output of words, that it's like a well being sucked dry and that yes. we haven't been a way to fill the well. Otherwise no more words will come. That's just, mm-hmm. it's just like the law of physics. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and one really amazing way to fill the well is through reading. And I know you're, you, you have built this practice into your life of reading and now it's a natural part of the work that you do because you're talking about books and you guys also have a reading atlas. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of being a reader as a writer and then Tell us about your reading atlas. Yeah, I mean, reading definitely helps fill the well. The thing that I think reading brings to my writing is that it expands my vocabulary, right? All of us have words that we reach for that are Mm -hmm. in our normal daily conversation and might show up in our daily writing. But by reading all different kinds of things, you add more to your little bag of tricks in terms of vocabulary and how you phrase things and how you think about things. Hmm. And one of the great gifts of Strong Sense of Place is that we are deliberately reading books 
that talk about different countries and people who think about things very differently than we might. And that just opens us up to a whole bunch of new ideas. And I feel like that can only be good for my writing. Totally. And every other part of our lives too. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, you know, reading is an empathy building exercise. And that has been really valuable, particularly with everything that's going on in the last four years. Yeah, it's been really good. So how can the Reading Atlas help listeners, anybody who's listening, how can it help them find the right books to read? Well, I mean, number one, it's fun. And fun is very important (laughs) for filling the well. (laughs) It's a, it's, it's, it's like a magazine and the articles in it include books set in 13 different countries around the world. And we deliberately chose books on every continent and in every geographical area. So there's a book about war-torn Syria. There's Mm -hmm. a book about California and New York in the 1950s. So we were really deliberate about making sure we were meeting different characters in these books and experiencing all different political situations, socioeconomic situations, because that's very enriching. Yeah. And we also included um, series with a strong sense of place because I really love to connect with a character over an extended period of time. And it's really interesting to me as a writer to see how an author will introduce us to a group of people and evolve them over a series of books or not, mm-hmm. right? Like sometimes sometimes yeah. the characters are deliberately kept the same. And I yeah. think that is really interesting for nonfiction too, just watching how fictional authors handle that has things that you can apply to nonfiction as well. You know, for example, you know, I did those three cookbooks. They had to be related to each other, but they also had to evolve from one to the next. Because if you have a customer who's buying all three of them, you don't want them to be like, (laughs) same crap, different cover. (laughs) Totally. I find that when I read fiction, my writing gets so much richer. And Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, I don't know. I I think this is more a personality thing on my side, but I find myself falling out of the habit of reading fiction and I gravitate more toward nonfiction. I think Mm -hmm. because not necessarily because I just prefer nonfiction, although I do really love nonfiction, but I think what ends up happening is I can quickly see how a nonfiction book is going to sort of like improve my repertoire or like improve my Mm -hmm. life. Like I'm going to know this new thing. And fiction doesn't always have that same ego hit. It's, it's like, I'm going to go on this adventure into this other world. And, and it, it just doesn't always have the same, it feels like that's the thing you do for pleasure. <laughs> I think right. Maybe there's like yep. my overachiever or something is mm-hmm. gets a little caught up in reading too much nonfiction. So I'm definitely going to go check out the reading Atlas because I need more fiction in my life. And, and just, I like the idea of expanding my worldview through through books, through reading. It's the best way to do it, I think. One of the things that's been really rewarding, and I tend to gravitate toward fiction set in different locations. David tends to gravitate toward nonfiction. And what's really interesting is that we often end up reading about similar topics. For example, when we did our Vietnam episode, he read nonfiction books about the conflict of the Vietnam War and what led up to it. 
I read two novels that address that same time period. Mm -hmm. And so when we came together on the podcast to talk about it, we had a shared foundation of information, but we had both had really different experiences of that information. And by taking the two together, we got a holistic picture. And I also think it's really interesting that he processes things more through the nonfiction lens and characterization is second. And he loves when a nonfiction book brings in a sense of character. And my experience is flipped. I like to learn history and concepts through the eyes of a character. So I'm more character driven. But both of those things are really valuable. And I feel like they both can influence whatever kind of writing you're doing. Totally. And, and really good to have a balance of both. I definitely, one of my goals in 2021 is to start reading more fiction. Oh, I know what I was going to ask you. So your podcast is called A Strong Sense of Place and people can download the Reading Atlas. Where do they go get the Reading Atlas, which is free, by the way? Yes, strongsenseofplace.com. There are places all over the homepage where you'll see you can get it. Can't miss it. It's so... It's. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I think the lesson that I'm taking away, and I hope that people are listening or taking the same lesson too, is to find the things you care about, find the things that make you passionate, find the questions that you're asking with your life anyway, play with the words, have fun with it, engage in the process, just, you know, find yourself hilarious, <laughs> get some words <laughs> on the page. And over time, there will be people who are drawn to what you're writing that probably will share a similar passion or a similar question that they're asking with their lives to you. And you'll find this empathy and connection and lovely readership within that community. And then perhaps that community ebbs and flows and comes and goes. And it's really not about the audience. It's about using writing as a way to explore the world and explore yourself within the world and there's so much joy to be found in that that we would miss out on if it was all about building an Instagram following. So thank you so much, Melissa, for sharing your story. Thanks for spending time with us today. We're really grateful. Thank you. It was really fun to talk to you. And I feel like I learned some stuff about myself, which yeah. is always super cool. I love that. Well, thank you again for being here. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.